It's Thursday, August 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, first time in a while, Aaron Bush. Good to see you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you believe it's August? I hate to sound like an old man, but I, when I was sort of typing up my notes for today, I was like, wow, it's August already? Yeah, yeah, it is. That surprised me when I was typing the date on my notes. I was like, there's an eight? What's going on? What's happening here? Uh, we've got software earnings, we've got medical device earnings, we've got video games to talk about. We've got to start with Fitbit, though. Third quarter revenue for Fitbit was higher than expected. Their loss for the quarter was smaller than expected, and nobody cares because they cut guidance for the full fiscal year and shares of Fitbit are falling about 20% this morning. Yeah, so for those of you who have not been following Fitbit closely, they've changed their strategy a little bit. Um, What they've done is they've lowered their prices on a ton of their different you know trackers um, in order to sell more devices. So so they've lowered prices about twenty percent year over year in order to sell thirty one percent more devices. And so that explains most of the five percent revenue growth. Um, but cash flows are still weak, so still pretty terrible overall. And as a result of this, their margins have been hit. This was never because it's hardware. It never was a high gross margin business. But when you lower your prices twenty percent, that that hurts you even more. And a lot of the thinking about this is just realizing, hey, hardware is a tough business. So let's try to use our hardware to transition more into a services model, where we can get as many of our devices out there and then start selling services. And they've done that a little bit. Their services revenue grew about 16% year over year. Um, they're projecting to have more launches around that in the next year or so. Um, but you know, even if you look like a year out, that still is probably only five to ten percent of revenue. So it's just not that big of a deal. And so, so if you look at all of these things and just start piecing together that, hey, their core tracker devices are just riddled with churn. In order to get more people, they have to lower prices significantly. And then they're leaning on services which are still tiny and not growing all that fast. It's really not awesome. The only thing that Fitbit really has going for it, um, and this has been stated for a while, is just the cash that they have. Um, and about half of their market cap is in cash right now. Um, that limits your downside. Obviously, it doesn't limit your downside that much as you see today. Um, but it's really only valuable if you can figure out how to put that cash to work and do something with it. And I don't think Fitbit really has those opportunities right now. Yeah, we talked about Apple yesterday, and it's worth reminding everyone that Apple is the outlier when it comes to pricing power and hardware. That overwhelmingly businesses, and we've seen this in certainly the the television business for years, that the cost comes down over time. And so that's playing out with Fitbit. Obviously, as you mentioned, Fitbit has a host of other challenges as well. Right. But I think, you know, you touched on something with their cash. And I, I look at Fitbit today, and the stock is at an all-time low. And I think if you're buying shares of Fitbit today, number one on your list of reasons to buy it is you're hoping for a buyout. You're hoping that someone is going to come in and say, you know what? There's a brand there. There's certainly cash there. So yeah, we'll we'll pay some amount of money for this. But I don't see a business reason to buy shares of Fitbit other than you're crossing your fingers and hoping for someone's going to pay a 25% premium for them. 
Yeah, I, I would say the other part of that is just betting that services is going to be a bigger deal than people expect. Um, I think it's impossible to ignore the fact that they have lost pricing power, that there is high churn in this hardware. And really, what separates Apple from a company like this is the software. Like It is the ecosystem that they develop, the App Store, all of those other pieces that someone like Fitbit will never be able to compete with. Um, so, you'd be banking on like a very narrow niche of services. Um, I mean, they could pull it off, but it's going to be really, really tough to do so. I saw this morning that Alphabet now has more cash on the balance sheet than Apple does. Uh, I think the number I saw was uh, Alphabet has about 117 billion, and Apple has 102 point 102 billion, something like that. So poor of <laughs> Apple. But it was just one of those things where it's like, you know what? Who's going to well? Apple's not going to buy Fitbit, you know. They they got the smartwatch, so it's like eh, maybe Google will throw them a little money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea who would want to buy Fitbit. Shares of Alteryx up ten percent this morning and hitting an all time high. Alteryx not necessarily a household name. They do software for data analytics. Uh, you tell me, how good was their second quarter? It really was a fantastic quarter, Chris. Um, as you mentioned, Alteryx, they sell data analytics tools to mainly large organizations. And what makes them special is they don't just sell to data scientists, they also sell to who they call data citizens. And this is really anybody who doesn't have the deep technical knowledge, they can still go on and make use of these really powerful tools. And so, even though data analytics is a pretty crowded space, what Alteryx does, there actually isn't much meaningful competition. And they're crushing it. And really, just bigger picture before jumping into the numbers, the main reason why growth oriented stocks outperform is because they grow faster and longer than people expect. And that is what Alteryx has been doing for a while. Um, their revenue growth is pretty insane. Um, it's 59% year over year. But if you look at the same quarter two years ago, they were growing 52%. Look at the same quarter last year, they were growing 54%. And then now 59% this quarter. So not only are they growing consistently fast, but they're actually growing even faster. And the reason for that is they continue to grow their customer base. It was up 34% year over year. Um, and their dollar-based net expansion rate, what they call it, was up 133% year-over-year, meaning that their existing customers spent 33% more than last year. Um, and really, the, the last piece of this that I think investors are really fascinated by, apart from the growth, is they have 90% gross margins. Um, 90%? 90%. And it could go up from here. Um, and so, even though they continue to reinvest heavily in growth, marketing, R&D, this will probably be a business that generates 30% plus free cash flow margins over time. So, if you pair really fast growth, a really massive market opportunity with pretty limited competition right now, with the potential to generate really high margins over time, it makes sense why this business has done so well as a stock and why it probably can continue for a while. Yeah, you mentioned how well it's done as a stock. It's tripled in the past year. Is this. Is today the day to buy? Clearly, people are buying this stock, but how expensive is it right now? Um, I mean, if you just look at what the business is doing today, it is pretty expensive. You know, trading at a pretty hefty price to sales margin, but that's not really the right way to look about it. Uh, right now, the market cap is about eight billion dollars, um, 
And so you really have to think about can this $8 billion company be much larger in the future? And I think that it can be because the whole realm of data analytics is massive, especially if they can um, better target people who um, are not in the core audience that a lot of data companies target. Um, companies are continue to pile on quickly. As soon as they get in, they realize, hey, this is a really great product, and we're going to spend more and more money on it. Um, so I can see a future where this $8 billion market cap is much larger. Um, there definitely could be bumps on the road, but I'm I'm not too concerned about it right now. Well, and if you're concerned, just comfort yourself with that gross margin number. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of the same concerns people have now could have been applied two years ago, but the company has accelerated their growth every year since. Abby Ahmed is a maker of heart pumps, and Abby Ahmed today, at least, is similar to Fitbit in that first quarter results for Abby Ahmed look good on the surface, but they cut their sales guidance for the full fiscal year pretty significantly, I might yeah. add, and the stock is down 24%. Yeah, so not a great day for Abby Ahmed. Um, as you mentioned, they, they make heart pumps, and they are the very clear leader in what they do. And under their Impella brand, is what they call it, um, their heart pumps dramatically improve survival rates and heart recovery rates. So the technology of what they do is great. Um, and the patents that they have essentially mean that very few, barely anybody can compete with them in their space. So they've been growing very fast and very high margin. That's why it's been an interesting investment. The issues that we see this quarter actually started last quarter. Um, last quarter, the FDA issued a confusing letter to Abiumed's customers, potential customers, um, that made them believe that the Impella technology was unsafe, even though it wasn't. And so, what management communicated last quarter is, hey, we have some work to do in order to clear up this confusion. What's concerning about this quarter is that the issues seem to be larger than just that confusion. Um, and even though the FDA helped clarify some things, it didn't really matter at all. Domestic growth didn't improve, and investors are now getting whipped that there are internal issues. Management announced that they have to invest more heavily in training and education, they have to restructure their approach to distribution, and they're seeking out other external opportunities. So, there's a lot of work to do in order to reaccelerate growth, um, which isn't awesome. And and it is interesting. It is different from Fitbit. It's very different from Fitbit, <laughs> in the sense that Abiumed is the best at what they do. They don't have meaningful competition. The market is massive, and they've proven that they can go grow quickly with high margins. But issues can take time to to solve and figure out. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, next quarter we're still seeing them have to clean up some stuff. Maybe the quarter after that. Um, but from a very long-term perspective, Abiumed is still a very interesting business. Yeah, the only thing they have in common today, besides their stocks dropping, is the headlines. You know, as we talk about all the time, look beyond the headlines because there there are headlines out there in the business media today that are basically like, "Hey, if you all you did was read the headline <laughs> on Abiumed or Fitbit, you'd be like, wow, that, I bet that stock's doing well.' But it's it's interesting. You know, you talk about they they really don't have meaningful competition, and it's a nice reminder for people who are interested in doing a little digging and finding businesses that are kind of the only ones doing what they do, you could do a whole lot worse than to dig into 
healthcare in general, but particularly medical devices, because you find you find those companies that are just like, yeah, we're just going to do this one thing, and if it's a publicly traded company and they're the only ones doing it, that usually bodes well for the stock. Yeah, and finding situations like this is pretty rare, where the patents that they have that last for several years really mean that. They don't have meaningful competition for many years, giving them a chance to improve their technology, improve their sales base across the world, and then come out on the other side once others will be able to compete with, like much with a much more meaningful presence. Um, so, so yeah, thinking about the next six months or so, I really don't know what could happen with Abumed. They could have continued issues and they have to fix more things. But thinking about the next three to five years. Um, Nothing has really changed from the opportunity standpoint. Yeah, it, it is interesting where you look at all of the underlying factors behind, uh, you know, with this business. And as you said, it's like, okay, yeah, long term it looks good. That being said, I'm already looking forward to three months from now, and to, you know, not just what are their results, but what is management saying about the training, how it's been going, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Electronic Arts shares are up this week. Uh, they had some pretty good first quarter results. This was, I think, after the market closed on Tuesday. But I, I, I'm curious, sort of, because I mentioned this last week on an episode um, that for anyone who follows you on Twitter, um, you're one of the best people I've seen when it comes to. Um, the video game industry, the esports industry, you're doing a lot of digging into this. And I'm, I'm curious, sort of like what your take on the landscape is right now, particularly as we are just a couple days removed from you know, the beginning of the week, where it was one of those situations where if you looked at the business news and you looked at the news in the world of sports, you saw an overlap because of the Fortnite competition yeah. and this 16 year old kid winning $3 million. Yeah, so I'm I'm fascinated by this industry for for multiple reasons. One, I think most people don't realize how big it is. It's it's much larger than like the movie business and the music business combined. Um, it's growing pretty pretty well, but it doesn't really get the the headlines that the other industries get. And I think we are reaching a an important moment in the industry where events like the Fortnite World Cup where a 16-year-old from Pennsylvania can come out and win $3 million. Um, it, it catches people's attention. And I think last year, with the, the year of Ninja, and really being like the first mainstream gamer to, to make appearances um, in, in a big way, that really was just the beginning. It has opened floodgates to, to other opportunities like this. And I think that's only going to become more common. Um, and esports is a big piece of that, and there's some good and bad there, but that really is only a piece. And if you look at all the things that are going on with digital, the emergence of cloud and subscriptions, mobile, there there are a lot of really interesting trends going on just within the video game space. That's fascinating to figure out what's going to happen, but also there absolutely will be opportunities there for investors to to have really high returns. I think it's interesting because. When we think about just exposure writ large, uh, I think it's natural just to think in terms of television. You know, you think about the big money, particularly around the NFL. You know, any of the major sports, um, and we're able to track just as both as investors and just of as fans of sports, we're able to track the size of the TV contracts. So the fact that esports doesn't have 
the television exposure that it does, I think is part of that disconnect where people are like, well, how can this if this were a really big thing, it would be you know on Sunday nights opposite Sunday night football, that sort of thing. But then when you look at and 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 I don't know to the extent that ticket companies or Live Nation or those types of businesses play into this, but when you look at the numbers of how many people are showing up to these events, like mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that when I read that, that's where the light bulb goes off, and I have to sort of force myself to think, well, okay, even though this isn't on Sunday night opposite the NFL game of the week, when you look at the number, how many millions of people are attending these events, it's like, okay, that's undeniable. Yeah, I think for the Fortnite World Cup, there are a couple million people watching online between Twitch and YouTube. Um, I do think that digital sports will not have the same like in-person draw into stadiums and arenas as as mainstream physical sports and, and that's just mainly because it's digital and like being native to the internet kind of transcends like loyalty to teams and regions and I, I don't know and like younger audiences just prefer <laughs> right. you know being online but you can look at what certain leagues are doing. Activision Blizzard, for example, has launched has launched a league for Overwatch and Call of Duty, and those are like regional teams where you're seeing not only investors within the esports space and existing organizations, but like owners of like NFL and NBA teams, they're investing and getting their teams ready. So I do think we'll see. Um, like a, a connection where these these worlds start to collide a bit more, um, and there there will be differences, but it is a very meaningful thing, and it's not even just in the U.S. It's probably a bigger deal in Asia, for example, and some esports in Europe too. Is it safe to assume that someone has already created an esports ETF or some sort of like basket of stocks, something like that? Yeah, it it definitely exists. Um, I was talking to a guy yesterday, actually. Um, his name is Will Hershey. He he's a CEO of a company called Roundhill Investments, and he recently started an ETF. The ticker is Nerd N E R D. That that I know it's it's a great ticker, right? Um, and he, he and his company, that ETF, they decide what companies are included based on how closely they are to esports, and their weightings are dependent on how closely they are to esports. So, so these things are emerging, and I do think um, investors should pay attention to these things because there are a lot of great companies that get roped into these ETFs and such. Aaron Bush, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.